All right, everybody, I'm uh, back here on the air. I've got a special guest in the studio today. And believe me, when they, when they say that, that you, you know, what a get is in radio or TV, it's, it's who you get to come in and, and be able to talk to you. And sometimes you just get through an interview. Other times you look forward to an interview. I've looked forward to this one for, for many years. This is a big get for me. And in the studio today is Martin Belair out of California. He's been from many other places, but we're going to hear about that. And we'll also hear about his history and, and, and some other things that, that he's into and been into. And uh, welcome, Martin. Thank you, Brad. Um, it's an honor. Well, I'm glad you made it in here. Now, Martin reluctantly came in the door here, but we won't hold that against him because we know he's going to have a good time over the next uh, little bit that we're interviewing him. Now, for those of you don't, that don't know, Martin Belair was the son of Fred Belair, and Fred Belair was a founder of El Trial de España out in California, but we'll hear some about that from Martin. We'll also hear about his days as, as, a, as a world competitor, a, a national competitor, and then his other days as a family man and, and Montessa importer and, and CTR, I mean, it's just, it's as long as my arm, so... So we'll just get started here, and, and Martin, uh, first, welcome to the studio here. Second, we got to get into some of your past. Now, what I want is, is when you first became aware of motorcycles, motorcycling in general. It began with my father. Um, as a young man, he rode motorcycles in Argentina. Um, that was his escape. He, he raced uh, some flat tracks, some TT races. He and his buddies would travel all around. And so as a young man, as a young boy, I mean, I, the motorcycles were just part of our life. Family, friends, it was all, I've always been exposed to motorcycles. So were you born in Argentina? Or I was born in Argentina, but came to the U.S. Uh, at, shortly after my first birthday. So uh, became a U.S. citizen in, I think it was fifth or sixth grade, uh, naturalized, and um, yeah, that uh, the motorcycling part of our family started with my dad. As, as did many other people. But when, when I ask you your first memories, what were your first memories of being on a motorcycle? Was it riding on his gas tank? Was it, was it seeing him at a trial? Was it you actually riding? Well, it, when we were kids, uh, my dad built a motorcycle, and uh, he built a motorcycle out of a Schwinn bicycle frame, and people think, well, that's a mini bike or some, he built a set of telescopic forks, it had a swing arm, <laughs> rear suspension, a clutch, it had a two-stroke lawnmower engine, and we would ride that around the backyard, my brother and I, and, you know, my dad was, you know, as an immigrant, he came to this country, he had three kids, and he was a hardworking man. So he couldn't really afford to go out and buy us bikes, but what he did was he'd build things, trade, and eventually trade it up to the point where, you know, we could, we had a Honda 90. My brother and I had to share that. And uh, soon after that, he was able to get us a couple of Hodakas. And that was great, because they didn't have to share with my brother because it was 30 minutes on, 30 minutes off. And, and how, how old were you at this point when you got ooh, your, finally got your own bike? I think I was eight or nine years old. 
So eight or nine years old, and your dad brought those home how? Just oh, on man. the back of a truck? And I think we car. went to pick them up yeah. at, uh, it could have been Steen's, which was a, a dealer in an off-road place. You know, my memory's not as clear as what it should be, but yeah, that was a big day for us. Um, that was a really big day because now we were full-fledged. We each had our own bikes, and and you know then one thing led to another. Now you got better gear. We had boots, helmets. You know, before we're just a couple of kids tearing ass around on a Honda 90 in the desert. You know, maybe wearing a helmet. Yeah, my dad made sure we wore helmets, but uh, but yeah, that Hodaka was really the beginning for me. You know, and. Uh, I wanted to be a desert racer because in Southern California, that's what everybody, all the heroes were desert racers. And the Hodakas dominated the desert in the 90, whatever, 100cc class. But my mom had known enough of my dad's friends and seen enough guys get injured racing that said, and she said, no, no racing. <laughs> no racing for these guys. But uh, a friend of ours suggested trials. He was uh, Ivan Wager, the editor of Cycle World magazine. And he said, well, you know, if you don't want the boys to race, there's a trial coming up. And it was Sammy Miller. He came to the U.S. and did a trial school. And then there was a trials event. And that's, that was my first trial. That's, what, that's where the direction changed from wanting to be a desert racer to trials rider. And, and uh, you know, before we get too far off your, your childhood and stuff, we got to talk about your dad a little bit because yeah. because once we get into your life, I know it's going to be hard to to make the connection back. But uh, yeah. Fred Belair, the guy was a he must have been a craftsman and a tinker to be able to build a motorcycle from basically a box of parts or pieces. Yeah. Um, also, you know, to see his his creativity and his enthusiasm towards something and and you know just just want to hear about the man. I could talk for hours about him because, uh, you know, it, some people get lucky. <clears throat> and, you know, when it came to, you know, who you have as parents, you don't have a choice. But, you know, I hit the jackpot. I had an amazing mother and father. And uh, for a kid that, you know, fell in love with motorcycles, my dad made everything possible. You know, he took us riding. And that, that's, that's a lot. You're talking about a man that worked 60 hours a week, never took a Saturday off, but Sunday he would take us riding. And um, he always did everything he could to make sure we had you know, good bikes, good gear, and, and uh, a lot of that. People that know him knew he was a, a talker, and he could charm anybody. And I think a lot of the stuff that he got for us, you know, he, it was through, he started to make connections in the motorcycle industry, even though he wasn't in the motorcycle industry. And uh, he had a real passion for motorcycles. And I think they were so important to him in his life. He wanted to pass that on to us. So he, uh, you know, he, he made it all possible. I, Everything that I have done or accomplished or, or ex been lucky enough to experience in trials and motorcycling comes directly from my dad. You know, either he paved the way, opened the door, or I follow his example. Um, it all goes back to him. Well, you know, looking at, at people's parents and stuff, I know how it was with my kids and such, but 
sometimes your your father you know is involved in so many things that you have to learn to share them and and I know your father got involved in many many things with many many people I'm sure you're not the only one he ever arranged a motorcycle for or oh, yeah. helped out or anything what was that like what was Fred Belair like in that that aspect well he he was a man that you know later in life you 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 realize that he liked helping people he liked connecting people uh, just for the sheer joy of you know helping somebody out somebody needed something he'd figure out a lot of people would come to him you know like Fred I need this do you know a guy he was a you know a deal maker uh, but he did it for the fun of it you know so we got the benefit of that, but a lot of people that knew him knew that he, you know, if you need somebody, you need something, go see Fred, you know. He knows somebody. <laughs> so, so, now, so now you got bikes. You're a kid. Yeah. You're going forward. Your father's there, supportive. So is your mom. And your brother, I guess, was, yeah, was riding was at that point. Yeah, was a good rider. We were both riders. So yeah. you're going to trials events. Well, you got to back up a little to that Sammy Miller trial. Okay. okay, that's what I was going to talk yeah. about. When you get to this, when you get to your first trial, My first trial, what was it that that hooked you? What was it well, that was such an impression on you that <laughs> that it became your life? It, it didn't hook me at first. I didn't know what you know. Like I said, we were desert racers. Yeah. So my Hodaka had big, wide desert bars. It had an expansion chamber, a fork brace. And I had my helmet and my dark tinted goggles. You know, for the desert sun, and not and a huge sprocket on the back, nothing. and it had a power band. And it had an open expansion chamber. Yeah. And I think back on that, and I remember riding through the sections, not being able to make the turns, tearing out the ribbon. I'm sure the checkers hated me. Splitting their ears. Yeah, splitting yeah. their ears. And I finished like 17th out of 18 guys in the amateur class. Had no idea what I was doing. My brother and I were completely clueless. Why would you ever go back? Well, we got, we at that point, we're like, you know, we, need, we can do better at this. So... We got some books, we watched some films, and asked a lot of questions, and we started modifying our bikes, put the mufflers back on, put bigger sprockets on the rear, took the seats off, put trials bars on, which is what a lot of people did back then. Yeah. <clears throat> you modified a You bike. made a bike. You made a bike. And went back about eight months later, entered the kids' class, and won. And then I was really hooked. Oh, got wow. my first trophy, you know, I was like, wow. This was great. You know, I, I remember that thrill. And was your dad riding at that time, or no. was he always just somebody that took you to he the He always so. took us, you know. Yeah. That's a whole other story uh, about my dad that, you know, he gave up riding when he got married. Mm -hmm. So um, never saw my dad ride a motorcycle. But uh, yet he was so influential in the exactly. motorcycling community and, and got you going. Yep. So, so, so you won this kid's class. Oh, yeah. And, and you got your Hodaka modded up now. <laughs> but at these events, who did you look up to? Who was, oh. who was there? I mean, name some names for me so I can well, see who your influence was. Back then, there was uh, the top riders were, uh, you know, the grown men, I called them. Yeah. Jimmy Wilson, who's a trials legend and motocross pioneer. Actually, one of the first crossover guys that went from trials to motocross. And he's about to be inducted into the Trailblazers Hall of Fame. He was... I looked up to him because he was the number one rider. Yeah. And I included him. Seen in the, magic. Yeah. And it was like, well, he's, he's a grown man. But I didn't realize that he was only a few years older than me. <laughs> At 14, the guy was over six feet tall. 
but he beat all the grown men. And even though we didn't have nationals back then, I think Jimmy Wilson was or could have been the best rider in America at that time. He was so good. And then there was the real the other guys. There was Bob Nicholson, who you know went on to be trials team manager for mm -hmm. Honda, and he was a trials legend. Bob Grove, who Bill Markham kept referring to, he was the number one rider. Jack Ward, who was Jeff Ward's father. Wow. Pro he was trials. He was a trials. He was uh -huh. like the number three master in California. So there was a real good group of guys to look up to. Dave Evans, Debbie Evans' dad. Those those were the masters. Now, see, this is where you start connecting dots for me. Yeah, it's <laughs> like you, that's a who's who right there. Yeah, of, of motorcycles. And this is what year? Can you give me kind 69, of sixty nine? Sixty nine. Sixty nine. Yeah. So this is late sixties. Those were those were the who's who of trials I in guess. Southern California. Southern California, yeah. which was Southern California, has always been one of the little clusters of talent. Exactly. You know, they, yeah. we have some up east and little bit in middle America but most of it's been Southern California generated. It, yeah that was a it was a it was a always a powerful group club and it produced a lot of good riders Southern California so yeah those were my idols those were the guys I looked up to and then also Sammy Miller, McAndrews I mean you'd get these magazines and I'd stare at these pictures and memorize you know everything about the pictures that you'd get in a magazine or uh, or the books, you know, there would be a Sammy Miller book on trials or whatever, anything you could get your hands on. Uh, we used to go to the annual motorcycle show, Cycle World Magazine put on a motorcycle show in the convention center in LA, and they had a small theater, and they would show these promotional films from Castor Oil or Dunlop Tires or whoever, and it would be the Scottish Six Days. Oh. You know, it'd be 15 minutes, on, and my brother and I would sit in that theater all day long and watch these films over and over because that's all, that's all you had. Yeah, you didn't have anything at home you could watch them nothing, on. So. Nothing. So <laughs> it's all relatable. But <laughs> yeah. so so you're uh, at your first event. You're you're on this Hodaka that you've you've modified over. When when did you get a first real trials bike, a purpose built motorcycle? Well, the Hodaka I rode that, and we kept modifying it, and mm -hmm. we got pretty good. I mean, we put a Boltaco silencer on it, shock absorbers, a Montessa gas tank, the the Hodaka. I made expert on the Hodaka, and then uh, that was uh, expert on a Hodaka. Expert 100. on a Hodaka, yeah, that was. Uh, but I was also, that was right about uh, first year of high school, and I was playing football, and I got injured. Fractured two vertebrae in my back. So I was out. But I made expert, and then I was out. You couldn't ride it. I couldn't ride. I spent a year in a back brace. Wow. And it killed me because everybody else that were my competitors kept riding, kept getting better. So I missed, I don't know, 14, 16 months of riding to heal up and then I came when I came back I got a Coda 247 because that's another story but we had developed a relationship with Montessa in Spain and I'd grown about six Now how did your father get a get somebody in Spain to even talk to him listen to him what did he yeah. did he meet him at an event here yeah or did yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we were at an event this was when I was on the Hodaka uh, at Saddleback Park and you know my dad would hang around the pits and uh, talk to people or go watch sections but <laughs> there was a gentleman there uh, very sophisticated looking gentleman you know sport coat we're out mm -hmm. at the trials in the d hills and he had a sport coat turtleneck goatee very distinguished looking Spanish gentleman and my dad immediately went 
who is this guy and I need to talk to him. Well, he was the export manager for Montessa. Make a long story short, they hit it off. He comes to dinner because my mom is Spanish, Catalan. So your father speaks Spanish as well? Speaks Spanish. Yeah. This man's wandering around doing a little bit of field research, like, okay, I'll go to an American trial, see what's going on. He meets my dad, and a friendship developed there that lasted forever. Uh, you know, so that was Modesto Soleil. He was the export manager for Montessa. <laughs> and that be and then soon after that, you know, they they began sponsoring my brother, and then when I came back, they sponsored me. So that's that's how the Montessa connection began, right there. And during this time, you got this group of talented kids coming up in oh, California. You could Lane Levitt, and and, yeah. and I'm sure Shriver was just a little kid then, but yeah. Marlon Whaley, and and there were so many riders. I mean, you go back and you look at those results. Was a who's who. Some of those guys went on to be motocrossers. I mean, there were so many talented young kids, and they started in the kids' class. A kids' class would have 15, 20 riders. Well, we all moved up through the ranks. And, you know, they got, so yeah, Shriver, Whaley, Griffiths, George Smith, Mark Egger, uh, you know, Kosky, uh, Greg Lurch. There was all these guys. And, and you're lining up against them every weekend. Every weekend. To do trials. Every weekend was and like pitting your skills against theirs, which which had to be so humbling. <laughs> well, the thing was, for a while there, you know, Shriver and Whaley were coming up. We were better than them. We were older. We were better. We were stronger. And it was like, yeah, wait till you get up here and ride with the big boys. Well, they passed us pretty quickly, you know. <laughs> Uh, so every weekend, you know, I'm riding against two of the greatest riders that ever America's ever produced, Schreiber and Whaley. That's yeah. One of the great rivalries ever. Yeah. And so getting first or second was almost impossible. You couldn't beat those guys. You could get third. <laughs> but and then the battle for third, you're fighting Mark Egger, a yeah. Hall of Fame, another whole list of uh, all these guys, you know. And <laughs> so, yeah, it was a real. Great era, Southern California, and Levitt would come down from Northern California. There was a bunch of Northern California. It was Lane Levitt, Bob Tyson, all these really good riders. So there was a big North-South rivalry. California State Championship was a serious thing. So th it was just such a hotbed. There was eight out of the ten riders in the nation, top ten were Californians. We're from California. Yeah. <laughs> you had Google Melli and Don Sweet and... Uh, from New York and Washington, the rest are Californians. So it was a great era. We all talk about it, and we all, well, you know, when we reminisce, we all say, man, we were lucky to ride in that era. It was a great time. We had a lot of fun. Yeah, because today, if you want to become really proficient in trials and ride against the best, you got to travel all over this country all to get there. You guys basically had it all right there in your backyard. Yeah. Furthest you'd probably drive is up to Northern California. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And there was, was no national series back then. There was then. no national was, series. Yeah. No, that didn't start till '74, and it's what I've always called a hot spot, you know. And if you look at Spain, people think, well, Spain—that's where all the yeah, riders Rogan, come from. But it, it's—they're all from Catalonia, mm -hmm. and that's that's a hot spot. It's not all of Spain, and in England, it was Yorkshire, just that one area that developed all those great riders. So, and that's what Southern California was. It was just this—you threw all this talent and youth into there, and. <clears throat> we were lucky. We were just lucky. <laughs> it's know. a great time to be there in Southern yeah. California. And, you know, really. the other thing you don't want to overlook is all the parents. Yeah. All of us young kids had parents. Committed. Committed. I mean, 
Shriver and Whaley had committed parents. They were there, they were supporting their son, their parent, their kids, they were part of the club, they were contributing, and everybody else. So there was all these parents behind us, helping us, supporting us, and you know, running the clubs and doing all that. So that was it was a perfect formula for success. You know, so and yeah, and uh, still friends today. You know, with yeah. a lot of all yeah. these guys, we yeah. still stay in touch. So here you are competing locally, and and you're on a coda at that point, yeah. which I'm sure you stayed on since your father struck a friendship with this guy. You probably weren't on any other brands no, no, much. There wasn't since any other then. option. So I then still have the bike too. That's very interesting. Yeah, I still have that bike. With the Hodaka as well? No, the Hodaka's gone, <laughs> but I have the my first Coda. That's awesome. Yeah. So as you're as you're going up in in ranks, your father's also getting more involved in trials yes. from from a from a organizer and a promoter and a and a and just a enthusiast second to none, and you start going over to Europe. Well, yeah, and like I said, he was all these parents were supporting and promoting and, and a part of the or the club and the sport and my dad had an idea and you know I know that he always loved international competition he loved to watch the Olympics he loved Formula One he would he always wanted to see if the German guy beat the French guy and I think that comes from his history in Argentina because Argentina was a melting pot of Europeans and so he loved international competition and he got this idea and it was with Modesto Soleil, the Montes Export Manager, they created this idea of let's create a, an event and let's raise some money and let's send these kids to Europe to compete in the World Championship. And that sparked that idea right there is still alive today. 50, we're coming up on the L trial 50. Yeah, which is incredible. So yeah. so let me get this timetable right. He he forms this friendship with this guy over in right. Europe and, and those two brainstorming together yep. end up saying, Well, let's let's promote a trial there that yep. that raises funds to send send kids over to to Europe. It's called the El Trial de España. And was the SCTA of uh, organization then? Yeah, I mean, well, was it formed and, and always been run by the SCTA? Well, the SCTA was the original club in Southern California, right. but then there were so many riders that other clubs developed. We had four or five clubs, five clubs, I think, in the yeah. Los Angeles area. And so a governing body, uh, the ATA was created, kind of like Trials Incorporated overseas multiple yeah. clubs. And so that was right about that time frame when it went from just one club to many clubs, but it, and it was all run under the ATA. But that trials club who operates the L trial today is the same club. SCTA. That, that has done this thing for how many years 50 now? years. I mean, that has to be a great gem for them it's, to have. Well, Something it, it, that it they have just, to appreciate like It's not crazy. just SCTA because it was San Diego trials riders yeah. were a part of it. The Plonkers, Vote, there was many clubs that contributed to El Trial de España. So That's the, incredible. Yeah. Uh, now, you know, there's, uh, there's fewer clubs now and fewer people, but everybody pitched in. And if you had to estimate, how many riders do you think were helped and sent over to, to, to I can tell Europe? You. And, and what kind of money was raised over this 50-some years? I mean, that's <laughs> got to be a gargantuan well, through the 70s, we, we sent a number of riders. First year, we sent Bob Nicholson, who was the first American to ride a world championship event. The second, who was the Southern California champion. Second year, we sent Bob Nicholson and Kevin Walker, one and two. Not we, I say they, you know. They raised enough money to send two. The third year was a 
good year for our trial, and they were able to send seven of us. So um, that was the biggest year. And um, I think a lot of the guys that went on that trip still, you know, still remember it. We were well, pretty young. What about Bernie? Was he ever one of the well, here's the, the kids deal. Bernie helped. was too young to ride to compete, and he wasn't the number one rider in Southern California yeah. yet. He was still coming up the ranks. So he had to be the number one rider to get helped out or First, somewhere yeah, in the ranking. Right, yeah. so number one, and depending on how much money they raised. Right. But pretty after that, the third year, uh, what happened was, uh, that was 76, Bernie was already, Bernie and Marlon were the top two riders in Southern California. They were too young to ride. But what they did was they sent them, El Trial de España, sent them to Scottish six days, one year, and then Spain and France the other year to watch. You know, they couldn't compete, go over there and watch. And talking to Bernie, he says those years were important because he got to watch, he got fired up, it gave him, you know, that was a basis for him wanting to go back and compete. Yeah, and I, I did an interview with Bernie, and I think he talked about he actually rode one. He was underaged, and he got caught or something. And yeah, yeah, that disqualified. Was the that was yeah. <laughs> that's the famous Charles Coutard story, where Coutard fell and broke his wrist on the last day, and Bernie was there as a spectator and uh, got Coutard to give him his riding gear and his bike, and Bernie rode the final sections of the Scottish on Ben Nevis, and I think he either cleaned or ended up with a one after riding all those sections, and that was the whole buzz of the Scottish. Bernie Schreiber, Bernie Schreiber, this kid. I think they caught him, and I think they asked him not to ride anymore. Yeah, he <laughs> said he was caught and, yeah. and, and decided he probably shouldn't be riding. But Bernie also rode the 1974 World Round. It was European Championship World Round at Saddleback Park. So I'm trying to think how old would he be in, uh, in 74. But... He rode that as an exhibition rider too. They took a bib, turned it inside out, put a big X on it. They let him ride the section yeah. ride, but he but wasn't. But his scores weren't counted. Scores weren't counted. So, so so El Trial has been involved in Bernie becoming world championship. Because, He'll tell you that because yeah, because They'll they helped him go over there to at least view and, yeah. and ride, and, and I'm sure it was there to support him. And definitely the way it improved riding in Southern California, even having the event. Uh, yeah. it, it had a hand in it. And, and I, this thing still run today, and it's still purely a trials? Yeah, it's still run today. I mean, there was, through the 80s, there was some, El Trial was still a prestigious event, but, <clears throat> you know, the clubs, you know, they didn't have, they weren't doing the fundraising. We just, we weren't. Uh, it was still a prestigious event to, to go to, to win, but uh, it's still, op- yeah, we're, in the 90s we revived it and started it back again as a fundraiser and then uh, started contributing. Now that we had a trial donations team, we started contributing to them. And that, that was a good, that was Matt Pritchard, Pete Croft, and myself, and then we got everybody else in the club to support us. We got don- free bikes donated from Gas Gas and Montessa, had a big raffle, and there was a number of years there where you know, we we funded the TDM team completely. We were able to from the one event. From one event, that's incredible. but we got support from all over the country. People buying raffle tickets, T-shirts. It was a big job. Yeah, but you know, uh, 
Yeah, so and it's still going today. L trials and like I said, we're fired up for forty nine and L trial forty nine is coming up. And what's the actual club that puts it on now? Now it's is SCTA. that ATT? SCTA. SCTA and the San Diego Trials Riders. Um, you know, it's yeah. The, 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 the so it's just an effort of the enthusiasts, the trials enthusiasts exactly. there in the area, no matter what club they're in. They're, right, we all work all together. Yeah. yeah, we all work together. So, yeah, well, that's that's impressive. But now we got to go back to your competing. So you're you're becoming quickly becoming one of the better riders in California back in back in your young well, days. Yeah, there was a lot of us. There, there was, was a lot of you, but you were you were one of the guys that. That when they when they sent people over to Europe, you were one of the guys that that yeah. that that went and and received some funds from the L trial to to be able to do that. And, yeah. and what was your success over in Europe? Um, well, it was we went a number of times. It, it, I, I mean, I did can, you always go over there to train and compete and yes. stuff? We'd go over there and compete. We would try and ride two world rounds because France and Spain were always together. In between, we would train with you know whoever, you know the Boltaco guys would go train with that team, and we would go train with the Montessa guys, and um, and yeah, we started out uh, in World Championship competition, not doing very well, you know, finishing. I think first year I went over there, I finished uh, 140th out of 150 guys, and you know, and then a lot of us were at that level. Lane Levitt was the best at that point. Lane, I think the one year he went over with us, finished 14th, and that was just astounding. That was an amazing result. But we all started slowly moving up the ladder, and within a short amount of time, you know, there was a point where I was finishing in top 20. I could finish top 20 over there. But soon after that, you had guys from El Trial. There was a Spanish World Round where Bernie, Bernie was first and Marlon was third, two Americans on the podium. And these are... This came directly from El Trial, from them going over there. Marlon had gone over there, and uh, so we all got better. Is my, what yeah. I'm trying to say. And then you bring that back, yeah. And you're competing again there in Southern California, and everybody's just following up behind you. And a big part of that, Brad, I want to mention that Bob Nicholson set the tone for that. That he was the first guy to go over, and when he came back, he did trial schools to teach us everything that he'd learned over there. And he took all of us kids out and would train us. We'd go ride a local event, and when it was all done, Nicholson would come get us all and go, let's go do another loop. And he got us riding Enduros to get our speed up, because in those days, you had to, you had to go fast. You had to be able to complete 25 sections, 20 miles, two laps in five hours. So Nicholson was a big part of our progress. He was a good coach. So, I want to give him credit for that. That's impressive. I yeah. did an interview with him also, and he talks about those days too, and is pretty, pretty uh, proud of, of what he accomplished. He there. did. And, he and he was a real good mentor to all of us. Yeah. He was a lot of fun to hang out with. He made it fun. Yeah. Yeah. So you're so you're coming up the ranks. What was your highest finish in California as far as the uh, state I think championships? Third, third in Southern California state championships. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Top five. You know, state championships were tough because you had to go up against those Northern California yeah. boys, Steve Darrow, Lane Levitt, Bob Tyson. I mean, there was four or five guys up there that could ride the wheels off the bikes. And then you throw in Whaley and Shriver and Egger and Griffiths and George Smith, and it's like, man, if you finished 10th, you were doing good. You know, it was... So, so when did you stop 
regularly uh, re regularly competing at that level in California? Well, did you I, go yeah, off to college? Did you what? No. What was the change in life that that would have? Well, we rode. We began riding nationals, and I rode nationals for a couple of years. These are NATC nationals. NATC once the series okay. started. Yeah. So, uh, ninth was my highest ranking in the U.S. nationals. Um, Who was champion during those years? Uh, was that first Marlin? year was uh, Lane was champion the first year of the yeah. NATC nationals, uh, and then Marland, and then it was Marlin Bernie. You know, Don so Sweet never won a championship, but. Those were some ultra competitive days. You go back and look at those results. Yeah, I just found, got a bunch of them, and the scores are unbelievable. You know, I'd look at my results. Finished, I finished six, but it was fifty-three points. It was three guys on fifty-three, and two guys <laughs> on fifty-two, and a couple of guys on fifty-one. And you look at it, and you go, I was a couple of points off the podium, and I'm in eighth place. Yeah. And uh, so, so. After your national, so you go out on a national circuit. Um, what was the change in life that that got you off of regularly competing? Well, uh, after in '76, I was invited to go to the Montessa factory. I worked at the Montessa factory for a year and competed in world championships. Rode Over the in Spain, six days. Over in Spain, I lived wow. in Spain. But when I came back from that. Uh, not long after that, I met my wife, and uh, that was the change. That was the change. That was, well, there was a couple of things that happened there, yeah. That the change, uh, meeting her changed my life. Also, after, you know, living and riding in Europe, you know, like, it was a dream come true. And to be honest, it was tough to come back to America, and, you know, it was a bit of a letdown. Why didn't you stay in Europe? I tried to. I wanted to. Well, really? Well, first I got offered a job at the U.S. distributor for Montessa, so that was one reason I came back. And then when I tried to go back to Spain, by then the economy had changed, the trials economy had changed, the Spanish factories were in trouble. I'd reached out to Montessa and they said, you know, there's nothing here. These guys are gone. That guy's gone. This guy's that gone. That was the mid-80s? That was uh, late 90s, early 80s, yeah. uh, late 70s, early, early 80s. 80s. And there just wasn't the opportunity there anymore. You know, Kurt Comer and I were just talking about that. It just, it was pretty tough to scrape together a, a sponsorship deal, any mm -hmm. kind of help, unless you were like Bernie, you know, unless you were, and, and you know, even Marlon, you know, Marlon as good as he was, I mean, Marlon could have been a world champion. To, to compete in Europe, it was tough during those days, just trying to scrape together yeah. enough support. So, uh, yeah, met my wife and that, that changed everything, yeah. So I think it was time to, you know, it happens to every young trials rider. You grow up, you, you know, you're thinking about your future. And how old were you at this point? Oh, uh, man, I just, that was 20s, mid-20s. Yeah. Well, yeah. you lasted longer than most people. Well, right? yeah. <laughs> sort of like yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it happened to all of us, that whole generation that we just talked about, you know, everybody. So how did you stay involved at that point? Well, I stayed involved with friends. I mean, I was riding once in a while. I'd keep a bike. I'd go ride at events, but I wasn't competing full time. And uh, and you took the job with the Montessa yeah, distributor. That, here? Yep, and that was a great experience too. And then I went off to college. You know, in my uh, I don't know mid twenty six, twenty seven, I went back to school. And uh, not long after that, you know. My wife and I had a baby. Oh, there we go. And that really changed everything. 
and motorcycles were really on the back burner. But I'd stay in touch, you know, I stay connected to the sport. And uh, so through the 80s, you know, that was a big life change, just being a dad, raising a family, running a business. But uh, still had a little bit of a toe in the I did. motorcycle because you're working for Montessa. Well, I had been working for Montessa, but now I wasn't working for Montessa. Now I was a contractor, and that was so my life, motorcycles were still part of my life. I mean, I had a garage full, you know, and mm -hmm. I'd be restoring bikes or buying and selling bikes, but I wasn't competing. So when did it come back to be more of a part of your life? Well, that was, that's a good question. It was uh, my good buddy, Mike Griffiths. It was his fault. <laughs> his fault. <laughs> his fault, yeah, yeah. Well, I was a painting contractor, and I painted it. He had a couple of transmission shops, and when it came time to pay me, he goes, how about if I pay you less than we agreed upon and I give you that old Yamaha over there? <laughs> <laughs> so I took the deal and he gives me this TY350 Yamaha. Mono? Mono. Yeah. He's been riding. He's been, he'd been riding. He had a new SWM. He goes, come on, let's go riding. We'll go riding. We take the Yamaha out, take it up to Donner, and the thing breaks the rear hub. <laughs> and anyway, make a long story short, uh, I thought, what the hell am I doing riding a Yamaha? And so we contacted Spain. We asked them for a bike. They sent me a bike and a box of parts and a helmet and jerseys. And that was 1990, and I was back in. I mean, I love those guys. <laughs> they just like, you need, they sent me everything I needed to get yeah. started again. They'd even put my name on the jerseys. Did you start competing again? Then? I started competing again locally. Uh, a couple of support nationals, something that, you know, things that were close, Arizona National or whatever, wherever there was a national, Southern California. So yeah, started competing again. Uh, and then about that time, there was World Round in Arizona, and uh, one thing led to another and became a uh, U.S. importer for Montessa. Because one thing led to another. Yeah. It was that easy, huh? <laughs> I'll try to make this short, you know, it's getting kind of <laughs> long here. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a story there, but uh, yeah, Montessa was looking for new representation in the U.S., and I was back into it, and I thought, you know, I, I can do this. And what year was that? 1990. 1990. 1990. So. And, at, and at that point, Montessa really didn't have very competitive bikes. No. They, they weren't, weren't selling the, very well, I'm sure, here in the U.S., and no. it was probably a struggle. Was beta. beta was the top bike. So you couldn't quit working. Oh God, no, 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 couldn't quit my job, no, no. No, now, was, your, was your dad still around then? Started importing some Montessas, uh, small quantities, 10 at a time, and uh, you know, 10, 10, we'd get 10. This is the amazing part of the relationship with Montessa, how great these people were. They'd send me 10 bikes on consignment. Sell them, and we'll send you 10 more. That's trust right there. Yeah, so, uh, and then the you next built year, up. We and built up to 50, and then in 1997. 1996-7, they introduced a bike that was revolutionary. Changed, yeah, yeah, changed the trials industry. Yeah, the 315. And, you know, sales went from, you know, 50 bikes a year to 250 bikes a year. And I was off to the races and still had a day job. Still trying to do everything out of my basement, you know, I did parts, <laughs> I did, you know, my friends would call me up and go, hey, what do you do all day? And I'd 
give them the list of things I do, and you know, so you know what that's like. It's uh, you're doing wearing a lot of hats. So yeah, that was that's how the you know U.S. Montessa took off, and um, we had some real good years. We had some real good years until 2007. You know, in 2005, Dennis Sweeten came into the business and gave me a big hand. But by 2007, with the exchange rate and, and the economic downturn economics, in the US. it was terrible, yeah. and it was just we couldn't make any money. We were, we could sell some bikes, but we couldn't make any money, so we stopped. At that point, it stopped. But over that time, you had some fabulous riders riding oh, for yeah. you and stuff. You had Chris Florin, from what I remember, and Ryan Bell, Ryan which Bell. was was yeah. good for you. I mean, that that was the heyday. It I mean, was. That was a good era. We had a lot of, you know, great. We had a great team. You know, uh, Christy won a whole yeah, bunch of championships right. for Christy, us. Christy uh, Richards. Christy Williams, yeah. Richards, and, yeah. Uh, you know, Pam DeBruin, and Carrie Brokaw, we had a great women's team. We had, you know, Ryan Bell, Chris Florin. I mean, you had a big operation going, we had a but good, it was still out of your garage. Still, it was a garage, yeah, out of my basement <laughs> in the house and uh, in the garage, and yeah. It because was, I remember seeing the, the magazines and nationals during those days, and I mean, I mean, your team was was a big deal. Now, Gas Gas had Jeff Aaron and maybe Beta had some people back in those days, but you guys were a big deal. Well, Gas Gas was a big deal. They were the 800-pound gorilla in the room, you know. Dale was selling twice as many bikes as we were, and he had a good team, you know, and he had Jeff Aaron, and tough, tough to beat Jeff Aaron. You know, we tried with Ryan Bell and Chris Florin, we never could beat him, but you know, proud of what we accomplished, and those were two great riders. So then, when when things aren't going so great and sales hit, and I mean, we all went yeah. through that that era. I mean, two, two thousand seven and eight were just ugly for the motorcycling yeah. community in general, and and those that survived barely survived. So, so you at that point have to do something else. Yeah, yeah, it, uh, that business was done. So uh, I had to do something else, got a real job, and uh, nothing in the motorcycle industry, but uh, uh, I'd always been a painting contractor and went to work in the painting industry on the OEM side for manufacturers, and that's good, you know, it paid the bills, you know, put braces on my kids' teeth. Uh, so yeah, and back you were to reality. In, you were in uh, Minnesota, right? Yeah, yeah. We yeah, lived yeah. in Minnesota for 15 years. My wife was from there, and so you leave there. California. I don't think you could pick a, a colder state <laughs> to move to from Southern California. No. <laughs> I used to get that from people there. They'd look at me and they go, "You moved here from California? What's wrong with you?" you know, so. <laughs> anyway, it, uh, I loved Minnesota. Yeah, a wonderful place to live. Beautiful people. Great place to raise a family. Love those years there. I miss it. So you move back to Southern California yeah. at some point, and you get back into motorcycles a little bit because you were you had disappeared for a, for a while. I did. I disappeared yeah. for a while, and uh, but yeah, I came back to Southern California, and all my friends are riding, and uh, you know we still stayed in very close contact with the factory. Every time they would come over for a world round, we would do all the support. You know, I mean, it was in an unofficial capacity. I wasn't getting paid, but Pete. Croft, Mike Griffiths, Tom McBride, Dan and Gene Farrago, we just formed this group that uh, would support them. They'd come over to the U.S. and we would help them. 
and uh, those are great years. Yeah, so you get sucked back into trials. Yeah, <laughs> but you're at, in a different role now. You're not a rider in Southern California. Well, what, now. what really got me back into it was uh, the trial de nations and El Trial de España, you know, and, and that whole role, the Wickers had, uh, Marilyn and Wick Wicker had yeah. wanted to retire from running the TDN team, and uh, I'd gone over there one year, and I think they saw me as a good guy to hand it off to, and so that got me back into it as well. Um, I'm not sure we're going exactly chronologically here, but that was a big part of getting me. So these, this, you know, Pete was a, Pete Croft was a big part of it, Mike Griffiths. Like I said, all my friends were part of getting me back into it. And they drew you back in. Yeah, they drew me back in, and so. So since then, you've been an FIM, CTR, I know, on the Trials yeah. Commission. You've been uh, greatly involved in the, in the uh NATC, you got back involved with Honda now, who was who had bought Montessa over the years and, right. and was operating Montessa. You got back in with with uh, Honda, which was now Montessa's owner, and was actually bringing riders over here and most recently operating an actual team going yeah. out to the nationals. It's like full circle. Yeah, back in the nationals, going out there again. Yeah, there was a, a about a seven eight year period there where. The Montessa wasn't imported into the U.S. And in 2014, American Honda decided to step up and bring the bike back into the country. With, with any encouragement <laughs> from you? Not, not so much from me. It was from Spain. It was the two top guys at Montessa Honda in Spain and the top guy at American Honda were buddies. And, uh, you know, they needed the American market. Yeah. So these two executives, Mr. Mitsuishi and Mr. Sakamoto, made a deal. And then the factory in Spain asked me to consult you know, with yeah. American Honda because there wasn't a lot of trials experience in American Honda. And one thing led to another, and we decided to form a team. Honda brought the bike in, selling it through the Honda dealer network. And uh, I saw a need for a team, made a proposal. Pete helped me with that, and we, you know, Honda agreed to sponsor a team. And, and here you are today, or here we are today, you can walk into any Honda dealer and order a Montessa if they don't have one sitting on the floor, and they're actually distributed into U.S. now and been very successful at it. They, yeah, we, we've got room. We need to improve some things, but uh, for the most part, you know, it's a, it, you should be able to go into any Honda dealer and order one, theoretically, but the bikes get snapped up so fast. Right. You know, there's a thousand Honda dealers in the U.S., and there's only, you know, we're only selling trials quantities, which doesn't mm -hmm. mean that every Honda dealer gets one. So, but the bike's available, you know, we've got a team, we're working on improving service. Well, let's talk about your success for the team. You formed this team, and the first year that you have this team formed, you win a national championship. Second year. Uh, probably several. First year. First year was Cody Webb. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We needed a rider, and Cody had gone over to Enduro Cross, but had expressed an interest in coming back and riding trials again, and, and I needed a rider, and Cody was there, and that was a great... That came together at the last minute. That came that together. That was a lot of publicity for yeah. you, too. That was good. Cody, it's, yeah, that was fantastic, having Cody as a rider and a representative of the brand. And so it worked. It worked. It came together at the last minute. That was a last-minute deal. Uh, amazing it even happened. And you were able to coax Christy back in the yeah. competition? Christy, well, it wasn't me. It was, you know, other factors. But Christy came back and won a national title for us. 
So in those first two years, yeah, we won a national championship when Mark Frescia came over, men's that and was women's. A, that was a pro class, so you won a pro national yeah. champion, the top honor in the, in the yeah. United States. And that was Mark Frescia, you know, that was all him. Yeah. Uh, he was available, he was doing some test riding for Spain. He'd been a minder for eight years. He'd retired from world championship competition. So he was not a competitor anymore. But, you know, the word amongst everybody was, Fresh can still ride. Yeah. And, but he was an unknown. So that was a gamble. It was like, who's available? And everybody else in Europe is riding world championships. So we took a gamble. The idea was, well, let's try it. Let's see what happens. What we wanted to do was just establish the bike as a competitive bike. And, and so Mark comes over and did well. I mean, tough to beat Pat Smaji and Ryan Young. You know, that's a eight-time national champions at that point. Uh, so I think it was a, for two years there, we had a really good battle. Um, I look back on those years and think, wow, that was fantastic. Well, it, it was really great for trials in America because you, you stepped it up, you know, brought somebody over that made the other competitors step up. I know it made Pat step up and, uh, you know, brought the whole sport up another level. So it, it wasn't that you just helped out Honda or Montessa by bringing them over. You, you helped out the, the, the sport in the country. Well, I'm glad to, that's nice of you to say that. I appreciate that, Brad. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a tricky thing. You know, you bring in a foreign rider to a national championship and, you know, Pat's the favorite son and Mark's an ex-world rider. So, uh, but 99.9% .9 of the people were super supportive and welcoming and friendly and it was a great experience uh, for Mark, for me. Uh, and I loved it. I mean, I loved being part of that team and being in that battle. Uh, those were some great events. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and it really, like I say, elevated the sport here in America. Well, because I'm glad to, and Pat's been real uh, good about saying that, you know, that mm -hmm. giving Mark credit for pushing them. And, and those two guys, I have to say that they'd be, there was a, a respect there and a camaraderie oh, sure. and a friendship that developed. Mm -hmm. And I loved seeing that, you know, that these two guys could fight like that but still be friends. So... Yeah, overall, that was a great experience, and yeah, we were lucky to win it. Uh, you know, we won one year, and Pat, you guys, uh, Pat won the, the other year, so I think it was pretty evenly matched, and it made ha American Honda happy, made Spain happy, so... It's made American Trials ha happy well, overall, so... <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, we got a lot of positive feedback, you know. It was, uh, it was great to see, you know, just... You know, I, I explained to Mark and uh, his minder, Edward, that, you know, the tradition here is on the last lap. You thank the minder, the observers, which isn't always the tradition in Europe. And they got into that. <laughs> they really did. And they were thanking everybody. And, and, you know, I told him, I said, you don't just thank the guy punching your card. You thank that guy over there on the side of the hill. And you think, and in return, what you got was a lot of people, a lot of these checkers would say, tell Mark, thanks for coming. It was a pleasure to watch you ride. So that whole interaction was really positive and I was really glad to see that you know yeah. I mean it for me it was it was a sort of a payback you know it, it proves what you were saying that it was good for the sport oh for sure yeah so here we are today yeah it's 2018 yeah <laughs> it's been a been a long journey right 
But yeah. your journey is not over because you've had such an influence on trials from from family relation, you know, from your father having such a such a impact on the sport, and then you continuing on over the years. Uh, you're still very influential in the sport. You're still at all the nationals. You've got, uh, you know, you're active in the SCTA club. You guys are still doing El Trial de Espana. What's what's the future hold? That's a good question. You know, I mean, yeah, I'm still involved, but I'm involved with the help of others. I mean, I'm in this, it's not just me, you know. I, it was my dad, it was Montessa, and Montessa still kept me involved. You know, it was my friends, uh, you know. Pete, big part of it. Uh, you know, you can't just, I mean, I can't take credit for it. I'm, I've been helped all along the way, you know. Um, there's no way I could ever repay Montessa for what they did to me, did for me. Um, you know, it's it's their family now. That's beyond business or racing or anything. And that relationship still exists today. Still exists today, still, yeah. and it's family. Yeah, you know? I know when people go over to Europe, they're like, well, Martin has such influence over there and knows so many people that we're not sure we could have a USTDN team if it wasn't for Martin well, and, and some of the things he's done. So, It's, it's them, though. I mean, yeah. Mont the people at Montessa are generous and good, and I was just a benefactor. You know, I was lucky. I was lucky. I mean, what other kid gets invited to go work at the Montessa factory, ride Spanish nationals, ride the Scottish six days, ride some world rounds? Name another kid that got that lucky, you know. So I got to give them, and I owe them everything as far as what I've been able to do in trials. It, it wasn't just me. You know? Yeah. Well, I told you it'd be about 30 minutes. We've been in here now almost an hour, so I better let you go before okay. you're really going to be mad at me. <laughs> but it's been an honor talking to you, and we know that the next chapter in your life will probably be just as good as the, the past have been, and, well, and I look forward to seeing what's going to happen. Thank you, Brad. I appreciate it. Uh, I want to thank you for everything you've done because what you've given to the sport is immeasurable. So. And, and these interviews, the ones you've done, especially with, uh, you know, my old mates, you know, Bernie and Marlon, and, and I've learned a lot about the, the other people in the sport through these interviews. So I think it's a great thing you're doing. And uh, one of the things I really like about you is your love of the history of the sport and your appreciation for what, you know, NATC has done over the years. and. You know, this help you're going to give me now with the Whaley Archive, uh, I just, to me, part of enjoying a sport is enjoying the history. And so I think in that, you and I have a common interest, and I appreciate that, what you do for the sport in that respect, too. Well, awesome. Is there anybody you want to shout out to? Or, or, oh, I, I or think I've, I don't know. You. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of people, but I'm I'm not sure they're going to listen this long to this well, thing. Well, you, you ended up with a wife it. and a couple daughters out of this I thing got, too, and I, I know the if they're like my family, they're bystanders only watching all this. Yeah, stuff I happening. haven't given them much credit. Thanks for reminding me. My wife has been a saint over all these years. Uh, I think motorcycles and the fact that I take all these trips has kept our marriage healthy. You know, because I'm, I'm gone a lot. And that's good. And I got the three most amazing daughters. You know, I haven't even spoken about them. And uh, yeah, I'm a lucky man. I got two amazing grandkids. You know, it's hard to believe. You know, you started this thing, and I were talking about me riding my Hodaka, and now I'm a grandfather. You know, yeah, with hopefully some riders coming up. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs>
They might right. be surfers. All right. Well, thanks again for taking the time to come in and talk to us. Thanks, Brad. Appreciate it.